I'm, I'm glad that a lot of you got to go away and take vacation. I was speaking to someone in the back today. He said he just came back from a pleasure trip. I said, where'd you go? He said, I took my mother-in-law to the airport. I don't know. Hey, where's Derek? You got you to gotta stop the mother-in-laws from charging me up here. But last, time, last time I was preaching, somebody fell asleep right here in the front row. I told Derek, you need to wake him up. Derek said, you put him to sleep, you wake him up. The other day I was talking to Derek. I asked him, what do they call pastors in Germany? He told me German shepherds. Is that true? <laughs> That's what you said. I don't know. Well, anyway, I'm moving on before the people at home start tuning off their computers. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, Pastor Mark did a message from um, Mark chapter 5 about a man who's called the demoniac. And he he was inhabited, he was possessed by many demons. So I just felt to go back to that sermon and continue on the theme and maybe bring a little different emphasis. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is, it says, they arrived at the other side of the lake, talking about Jesus and his disciples, at the region of the Gerasenes. As Jesus stepped ashore, a demon-possessed madman came out of the graveyard and confronted him. I'm reading from a new translation called the Passion Translation by Brian Simmons. The man had been living there among the tombs of the dead, and no one was able to restrain him, not even with chains. So I'm calling this message Extreme Makeover, but this is not home edition. This is the graveyard edition right here. So before I go on, I want to explain a little bit about what Demon possession means, because that's a real thing. It's in the Bible, and there are today on the earth people who are demon-possessed. But before I do that, I want to give a brief disclaimer that if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you cannot be possessed by demons because you're possessed by the Lord. So as long as you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, you don't have to fear to end up like this guy. But who are demons? Demons are evil spirits that live on the earth and they serve the devil. That's opposed to angels who are God's messengers and they serve him. Demons are here on the earth and they can try to hinder or or tempt you, or harass you, but can't possess you. For a person to be demon-possessed, his or her life and mind on emotions are totally controlled by the enemy, by powers of darkness. I've heard of of stories of these people who are demon-possessed today. They have a superhuman strength. I heard one story 
um, that someone who experienced it told me that he, he was trying to minister to a 100-pound woman, and all of a sudden she became enraged and started throwing men all over the place, big, strong men with one hand started pushing them aside and was speaking in a deep voice. But for someone to be demon-possessed, and it's a rare thing, but it could still happen, but it means the person is totally controlled, their mind, their spirit, their body. And uh, what could lead a person down the path to demon possession? Well, one thing that I've seen is involvement in witchcraft and sorcery. That, that's why the Bible says stay away from psychics and tarot card readings and mediums that contact the dead. It's an open door to involve inviting the, these demons to enter in and to be part of your life. Let, let me just throw this in. You lose your authority to kick demons out of your life if you have junk going on with them on the side. See, you can't go to the devil and say, get out of my life. He says, wait a minute. What, what about those nights we get together? See, that will take away my th authority. But otherwise, I have authority over every power of darkness I have the authority of God to kick out devils and demons. So we don't fear those things, but we don't invite them in either through sin. So I'm going to skip down to verse 5, and I'm going to read it in the Amplified Bible. So if I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, I don't need a microphone then, right, Pastor Joe? Well... Hey, that was a good one, right? That was pretty good. Night and day among the tombs, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always shrieking and screaming and beating and bruising and cutting himself with stones. I'm going to skip to verse 8. For Jesus had already said to him, Come out of that man, you demon spirit. Jesus said to him, what is your name? Mob, he answered. Or most versions would say um, legion. A legion can be anywhere from two to 6,000 demons. They call me legion because there are thousands of us in his body. He begged Jesus repeatedly not to expel them out of the region. Nearby, there was a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the demon horde immediately came out of the man and went into the pigs. This caused the herd to rush madly down the steep slope and fall into the lake, drowning about 2,000 pigs which today would be worth about $250,000. I want to read a quote from Max Licato. In God's presence, the devil is a wimp. Satan is to God what a mosquito is to an atomic bomb. Hell's court cowers in Christ's presence. 
demons bow before him, solicit him, and obey him. They can't even lease a pig without his permission. With just one word, 6,000 demons went fleeing out of the man. And the same spirit that Jesus cast those demons out with lives in every one of you. You see, I've seen people like this man set free in an instant from addiction, rage, and even self-mutilation like him. I've seen people who cut themselves and, and in an instant were set free when they received Jesus. In others, I've seen where it's been a process, where there's been change over time as we continue to walk with the Lord. We, we begin to walk in deeper freedom. It's still a miracle nonetheless. As God is changing you and breaking stuff off of your life. Verse 14, I'm just going to finish the scriptures. Now the herdsmen fled to the nearby villages telling everyone what they saw as they ran through the countryside, and everyone came to see what had happened. When they found Jesus, they saw the demonized man sitting there, properly clothed and in his right mind, seeing what had happened to the man who had thousands of demons. The people were terrified. Those who had witnessed this miracle reported the news to the people, and included what had happened to the pigs. Then they asked Jesus to leave their region after all that happened, that this man who was tormented, they couldn't stop him, not not with chains. They tried to hold him back, hold him down. Nothing could stop him. People were terrified of him. Jesus came into town, cast the demons out. The man was instantly set free. Back into his right mind. All his emotions restored. And instead of saying, praise God, the people went to Jesus and asked him to leave. You see, you can acknowledge Jesus is Lord, sing some songs about him, listen to Bible stories, but not want him hanging around you. Because he's cramping your style, telling you how to live. I don't want Jesus all up in my business. They they actually told the king of kings, the one who loved them, the one who was passionate about their souls, they said, we don't want you here. You just cost us a lot of money. You see, in ancient Israel, according to the law, it was, it was against the Bible to raise pigs in Israel. These people were raising pigs illegally. <coughs> they weren't going to change their life just because they encountered Jesus. They said, we, in other words, we don't mix religion and business. So the crazy demons went into the pigs and destroyed them. And that was the invention of deviled ham. That would be funny if you got it, but I don't know. So all these respectable town people, 
the guys, the hard workers, the people who are in their right mind, they decided to tell Jesus to pack up and go. See, you got to decide for yourself. How would you feel to have Jesus in your house every night? How would you feel if you had him walking around with you? Would you tell him to leave? He's all in your business. He's telling you how to live, what choices to make. Well, Well, that's those guys. But on the other hand, what happened to the formerly demon-possessed man whose life was filled with darkness and shame and bondage? See, if you go down to verse 18, when Jesus began to get into the boat and the man with the demons went to Jesus and said, let me in the boat, I want to come with you. In other words, I'm ready for full-time ministry. But Jesus answered him, no, go back to your family and your home and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And the scripture said he did that and people were amazed. People marveled at what happened. The man was so grateful for what God had done. He wasn't like all the respectable guys. The, the, the townspeople, the average everyday person, the respected people. They said they didn't want Jesus around. But when you have a true encounter with God, when he sets you free, there's something in you that you want to follow him. You want to passionately go after him. And this man said, I want to serve you. I want to come with you. But Jesus said, go back to your home. Go back to your town. Testify about what I did in your life. You see, someone like me in ministry isn't going to reach a lot of people. I'm the guy in the full-time ministry, but what do I do? I hang around churches. You see, your role as the body of Christ is to go back to your families, go back to your jobs and your schools, and share to them all that God has done in your life. Show them what true Christian love looks like, that it does true Christianity. You show them that it doesn't look like these guys on TV begging for money or finger-pointing hypocrites. That true, you give them an example. You say, God is love. You show them what he did in your life, and they will be amazed. But here's the question. God made this guy a missionary. He said, I'm anointing you, which means I'm giving you the power and authority to be my spokesperson. You go speak for me. You go back to your town. You tell them Jesus sent you. But why would God, why would God use a guy like that? If, if, if it was me, I wouldn't be going back home after spending years out in the graveyard howling at the moon and cutting myself and everyone's laughing at me and they're all afraid. I, I wouldn't go back home. I'd go in the opposite direction, hiding from embarrassment. He had a reputation as a crazed person living in the cemetery 
destroying his body and screaming and foaming at the mouth, but yet God told him, you go back because you are my man, you are my son. He said, your past does not disqualify you. You see, I'm, I'm going to give a personal testimony. When I was young, my family was marked. My, my mother, when I was about five or six, she married an alcoholic, and she became one. And she would walk outside with these short, short, shorts. You know what they called them back then? Hot pants. Anybody remembers hot pants? I guess I'm the only guy old here. And the parents would tell their kids, you stay away from that family. That mother is no good. You don't, you don't play with those children. My, my mother would go to family weddings and start dancing and fall down on the floor. And people would talk and mock and laugh. And I've carried those scars from all that finger pointing and labeling I grew up feeling shame as a child and even as an adult. And even when I became a Christian, I felt unworthy and that I had no value. You see, that's what shame is. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt can cause me to feel embarrassed about something I did. But shame causes me to feel embarrassed about who I am. Makes me want to hide. Shame is a feeling of feeling of being unworthy of love and belonging. Always feeling I'm not good enough. I don't belong here. I don't fit in. There were also people actually in the word of God, in the Bible, that also carried shame. Ezra, in chapter 9, verse 6, he was praying to God. And he said, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you, because our sins are higher than our heads. He, he was so ashamed of, of his past and the past of his family and those around him. He couldn't even pray. He, he wouldn't even want to walk into church. There's many people who are not in church today because they're too embarrassed about what they've done. I believe there's some of you here right now that you, it's hard for you to pray because you feel ashamed to come into the presence of God. Jeremiah, the great prophet, in Jeremiah 20:18, said, Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Psalm 44:15, the writer said, I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame. And all my years in the church, I know there's many people in churches all over that feel the same way, that feel worthless. God tells you, I love you. You're somebody. You're valuable. You're important. And it just can't get through. 
But let me tell you God's heart about you. In Isaiah 54.4, he said, Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. Just like the demon-possessed man, he should have been a total embarrassment to God. If I was God, I wouldn't send him back to his home. I would say, I don't even know this guy. How about you? If, if you were friends with the guy that, that was out howling and foaming at the mouth, would you invite him over to meet your friends? But God is a shame breaker. He wipes away all the shame, everything you hate about yourself, every, everything you think is disgusting, every place where you feel like a failure. God has restored your worth. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to be ashamed to come to God. God said, come boldly into his presence, into the throne of grace, because his blood has covered every failure, every sin in your life. In Isaiah 61, 7, God, if instead of shame, God will give you double honor. Do you know that God honors you as his son and daughter? Doesn't matter what you've done in the past, how far you've fallen. He honors you. He loves it when you walk through this door after you've just had a failure. You know, when you mess up, you don't run away and hide. You bet this is the place you need to be if you just messed up. You need to come into the presence of God. You are fully loved and accepted even on your worst day right here in this church. And if anyone tries to judge you or point fingers, you come and see me. I'm ready for any kind of action. So I'm going to ask Lee to come. I asked her to share a testimony of, about the shame that she walked through in her own life. I know that I'm not the only one in this house who has walked through extreme darkness, extreme shame, and extreme bondage. However, I am grateful for the grace that I am so humbled to be able to have the opportunity to share on an ongoing basis because of what Christ has done and because of how he comes to bring an extreme makeover. It's oftentimes people around me in my sort of close circle and people within the church world or friends that I have on the outside often say, wow, yeah, only those things happen to you, like good things. Like, wow, yeah, you always receive a word when you need it, and you always receive financial provision when you need it, and you always receive this, yeah, because it's you. And I look at them like, what? 
That's not because it's me. It's because I've been a receptor of grace. It's because I've gone through the darkness and the shame and I've gone through the stigma and God has in his infinite wisdom and mercy taken everything that I have walked through in darkness and turned it around for his glory. And not only did he come to restore the day I received salvation, but 20 years later, holy God, he continues to restore. It wasn't a one-time act. His restoration lasts a lifetime. And there have been some really outrageously dark things that have happened to me, but there has been some outrageous, outstanding light that has made its way inside of me and inside of my family in an unprecedented way that even my own, my own family has, has never seen. Because when I grew up, I was called all sorts of names. And a lot of you know my story in this house. A lot of you know it. A lot of you don't. For those of you who don't, I will give you the short version. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. I was born in South America, in Bogota, Colombia. I was sold into this country as a baby at three months of age on the black market. I was adopted by a Jewish family. I was adopted to a mother who was mentally ill. I was physically, severely, physically abused at the age of 13. I I went into a mental institution at the age of 15. I was orphaned for a second time, and I I became a ward of New York State. By the time I was 16, I was raped by a man who had HIV. By the time I was about 17, I almost got shot and killed outside. This is just the Cliff Notes version. So many things that happened on the in-between. But as I was growing up, I was called all sorts of names. I was ridiculed because I was Jewish. I was ridiculed because I was an orphan. I was ridiculed for being Hispanic in a Jewish community. I was ridiculed for being female. I was called names because I was too quiet. I was called names because I was too loud. I was very oppressed. Just much like the man, the demon-possessed man, I had a heavy oppression on me. I made choices out of my pain ignorantly, which led people to shame me for being less than academically perfect, for giving myself away promiscuously as a teen. I was talked about and shamed for being emotionally deficient, financially deficient, I was shamed for not having any kind of experience, for not being loved, for not having a lack of understanding. I was ridiculed for dreaming too much during that time of darkness, believing too much during that time, hoping too much. I was always the black sheep, and I'm sure a lot of you can attest to that. All the middle children said amen. All the middle children, okay. I was ostracized. I never really fit in, but I was down with everyone. I never really belonged, but I was everybody's friend because that's called self-preservation, just in case you didn't know what that was. There was always pity and a shame attached to my life, and others used to talk very poorly behind my back. And there was this one time I was in junior high school, I was in the mental hospital, I had just come out. I was feeling all sorts of shame sitting in that classroom. The kids knew that here was this girl who was kind of out of control, and she just came out of a mental institution, and what are we, ooh, you know, here's the scary girl, Right? And I remember sitting down in the class, and I remember saying I wanted to use the bathroom, and the teacher didn't allow me, and I was like, well, I'm going to the bathroom, because I was that kid, very oppositional, very defiant. And I I walked out the back, and when I walked out the back, I, I said something not nice to her in front of the whole class. I called her some names, walked out the back, did what I wanted to do, and I heard her say to the entire class, oh, don't mind her. There's something wrong with her. 
in front of my entire, all my classmates. And I remember I got filled with so much rage. I ran back in that room. I picked up one of those desk things or whatever, and I smashed it across the floor. And I remember the security guards came rushing in, and they were grabbing me, and I was trying to fight them, and I was like, get off me, and da 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 But I was so filled with shame, and I was so filled with anger, and I was so filled with all these things. And I knew that when people looked at me, they just looked at the girl that was messed up and broken and whose life really wasn't going to amount to nothing. I remember even my neighbors looking at me with disgust. I remember when I started rebelling and doing drugs and acting out and, and making really poor decisions. I remember, oh, I, I love babies. You all know this. I love babies. I have five of them. I love babies. I've always loved babies. Even when I was a little girl, I grew up in a courtyard, and when I would look outside, I wasn't looking for the kids who were playing outside. I was looking for the moms coming down with the babies. And so I would go outside, and I would babysit, and I remember when I was walking through this really dark time, they wouldn't even let me go near their children. And I was only 12. I was only 13, and I wanted so badly to be a babysitter, but I was also doing crazy stuff. So, I had so, so all these people looked at me like, well, she's no good. And they kind of write you off, and they don't look at you like you're going to become much of anything. And then one day... One day, 20 years ago, 21 years ago, I think now, I stood at an altar after a life-threatening situation. I raised my hands to Jesus, and just like the man with the demonic oppression, I was instantaneously delivered. I mean, there was no, like, progressiveness about it. I know Pastor Gary, and it happens for some people that it's progressive, and if that's your journey... It doesn't mean it's any less glorious, but I know for me, I was instantaneously and radically transformed in a moment at the altar. And there weren't, there weren't fireworks, but there were a lot of tears. And I stood there and I knew something had changed on the inside of me when I made Jesus the Lord of my life. But what happened, just like with the demonic man, right, the man who was oppressed, I had to go back now. It was time for me to go back. But what was so crazy was that when I went back to school, when I went back to, to when I started going to church, when I went back to my foster home because I was still in foster care when I got saved, when I went back to my therapist, when I went to, back to old friends living in Brooklyn that I used to do drugs with and getting out the train station and telling them, hey, hey, so I don't do that no more. Like, I'll come visit you, and we could be cool, but I don't, I don't get down like that. I'll never forget my friend met me at the train station, and she was like, whoa. She was like, something, something, what? Did you do something different? Why you look like that? Why you look like that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? So what I didn't understand was that there was a glory that started to rest even over my physicality. There was the glory that started to cover my transgressions. The glory was covering my shame. The glory came in to take away the stain that sin wanted to keep on my life. And there were people that were like, but what was, what's different? And I was like, I don't know. I always dyed my hair. So I was like, maybe, I don't know, it's a new color, highlights, I don't know. And I slowly came to realize that what they were actually looking at was the glory and the transformation of an almighty God on someone who was so distraught and so full of darkness and so full of shame and so full of pain. They didn't know the word to call it. So I remember the therapist that I had for seven and a half years who put me on medication sitting across from me as I told her about my salvation with tears streaming down her face. 
totally breaking every sort of professional code there is in the mental health world and weeping at my transformation. I remember my foster agency. I went from being the worst kid in my foster agency. I know I've shared this before. I went AWOL. There were pictures of me up in the precinct. There were always crazy stuff. There was always crazy stuff happening to me. I remember them sitting down, and they were like, what happened to you? What happened to you? And I remember I had their ear, and they sat in my living room so attentive one day when they all came over to listen to my story of salvation. And it wasn't just that they heard it that one time, but they began to watch me live it out. And then I went back to high school because I was going to quit because I had a guidance counselor tell me, you should just drop out and get your GED because you ain't never going to make it. I thank God for my rebellious spirit. (laughs) That has been redeemed for the glory of God. So because she said that to me, I prayed and I heard the Lord say to me, right away I was able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, go back there. And I went back to high school in the same hallways and the same bathrooms that I was doing drugs in and other things that I can't talk about because my children are in the room. All those things and all those dirty places, God redeemed for his glory and revival broke out in my school. And we were laying hands on people and people were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and salvation was being birthed in my high school. So what happens when we go back? What happens when we go back? What happens when we tell this story? Well, sometimes it doesn't always work, that, work out as glorious as you think because I went back to my family who was Jewish. So they were extremely terrified of my story and they did not want to hear what I had to say. And I could see how uncomfortable me even mentioning anything close to the word Jesus made them. And so instead of trying to force it down their throat, I just showed them. I just showed them the love of God. I just showed them how I was changed by my actions. I just showed them by my choices. And little by little by little, they began to see something that I could never prove to them. And then one day, the church started speaking life into me. And pastors and ministers and the good part of my church story. All throughout this past 20 years, God has always put faithful ministers of God in front of me to speak life and to be like, you got a call on your life. You're supposed to do something great. I see you out there, outside the four walls of this church. I have my pastors in this house. I have this man right here, that man back there, and his wife, who have always confirmed and attested to to the call of God in my life that I'm not just meant to sit here on a platform in the church. And God used those people to speak life out of me to be able to, those, to combat those words that other people spoke, right? And wisdom began to come. And people began to take notice. And people of higher influence began to notice the strengths. And no longer anyone could see what, was, what once was. And then at the age of 23, I became an ambassador and told my story at a conference for, um, for the United States in the United Nations. And Before I knew it, this shame and this pain and this anger and this disgust and this stain on me was literally being lifted up in another country before dignitaries, heads of state, and the Queen of Sweden. And God was using my story to create political change? What? Who is this God that does these things? Who who does that? Who takes the nothingness of life? 
and makes it everything and glorifies it to an extent that I know I, myself I could never give myself. And God since then has used what I've been through and people come to me now and they're like, they seek me out for wisdom. What? They want advice from me? I remember praying for wisdom. I remember praying and asking God that I'd rather have, like Solomon did, wisdom than any other kind of prosperity. But then when it actually started manifesting and God started bringing people and people started respecting me and honoring me and looking at me as a woman of God, what is that? Because I was called every other kind of woman, but not a woman of God, not a woman of grace, not a woman of mercy, not a woman of wisdom, not a woman of understanding, not a woman of knowledge, not a friendly woman, not a kind woman. That's not who I was. But yet all of a sudden, this restoration has swept in. And I think the most glorious, the most glorious time of me going back, just like the man, just like the man who was possessed by demons was just a year ago. I went back to my family, and I told you I kind of just let my life do the speaking. Amen? Sometimes that's what we got to do. We got to let our lives do the speaking. And I'll never forget, we were caring for one of my ill aunts. She was on her deathbed, and I was sitting with my other aunt, my father's sister, in the kitchen, and we were sitting with another family member, and I don't really know how the subject came up, but all of a sudden, out her own mouth, she was like, yeah, she's a miracle. <laughs> I was like, what? And she's telling my other family member, yeah, you know, she's been through a lot. It's amazing that she's even still here. You know, she tells her story, right? You know, like everything that's happened should have taken her out. Like it's amazing what's happened with her children and how God has, well, she didn't say God, but she was like, but how she was giving these children and just somehow knew what to do. And she starts talking about the miracle of my salvation. And I'm sitting there like, how is this happening? My aunt is in the other room dying. But you sitting here after 20 years that I've prayed and ask the Lord that they would see in me what he has done. In that moment, they were confessing the work of God in my life. And I can't tell you how restorative that has been. And it was no, it was no coincidence that Pastor Gary approached me the other day to ask me to come up here to speak to you this morning. Because last week I got a phone call from another family member who my family is not expressive they are not, you know, encouraging. Not that they're bad people. It's just not their nature. And that's okay. I've, you know, you learn to live with your family, right? You love them how they are. And she gets on the phone with me and she says, and she's in a place in life where she has a lot of influence and she's around a lot of influential people. And she said, Leah, I need to talk to you for a second. She said, I look um, on your social media and I know about your story. And she's like, and I don't know, it's like, it's like it's time now for the world to know what you have and who you are. And I, when I look at you, I see leadership. I'm like, what? Is, is my cousin prophesying to me? But she's not even in the Lord. And she's like, but when I look at you, you're like, you're like Oprah, which I'm not. But it was her way of telling me that what she sees in me is inspirational and full of hope and full of life and can help another person. And I'm sitting on the other end of the phone like, what? Is this my family saying this to me? And she offered me a whole bunch of other things and opportunities and all this stuff. But it was suffice to say that what was full of shame, once, what was once broken and full of bondage and dark, God has come to redeem. 
Just like the scripture that Pastor Gary just said, fear not, Isaiah 54, for you will not be put to shame and do not feel humiliated for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth. And I tell you, it's time to go back. It's time to break the bondage of the shame and the pain and the disgrace and go back now and tell them who it is that you found. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask for the worship team to come. Hebrews 12:2 says, "We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. When Jesus hung on the cross naked, And he was mocked, and they pulled his beard, and they were spitting on him. All the shame that came on him was the shame that belonged to you. Jesus bore your shame. Every failure, every mess that you've made in your life, Jesus, when he died on the cross, all your shame died with him. You see, maybe you still carry shame from your past. Maybe you made a bad decision you can't forgive yourself for. Or you were humiliated by an ex-spouse or a boyfriend. Or you took a chance in life and fell flat on your face. Face. Sometimes an abusive relationship can feel you leave you feeling not only wounded, but hating yourself and embarrassed. (coughs) Maybe you were fired from a job, abandoned by a parent or spouse. Some of you feel ashamed because of your weight. You feel horrible, worthless, and unable to change. Some of you from your childhood could relate to what I said. You are made to feel like a nobody because you came from a family like mine. A bunch of people considered losers and mess up, going nowhere, marked by the whole neighborhood. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. You see, Jesus said in Hebrews 2.11, (laughs) that he is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed to call you his family. Whatever you've done, you could come up here on the mic and tell me the worst stuff you've been through. And you see, God has no standards. He accepts everybody. You can't tell me a story that's going to disqualify you from receiving grace today. God wants to remove for once and for all. He wants to take off that stain of sin, that thing that you feel like you got to hide. Always feeling I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. So for those of you 
who can relate to that. And I believe there's a few of you here that you're like me. You've gone through life often feeling like you don't belong, unloved. We're going to pray, and I'm just going to ask if there's anyone here bold enough. This is how you break off the shame. You say, I'm, I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to let that stuff hold me back one more minute. I'm, I'm going to invite those of you who, who can relate to, to the issue of shame. I'm going to ask you to come up, and, and, and I want to pray for you. I, I would love to pray to break that thing off your life. It's going to take some boldness. Somebody might be looking at you. Why are you ashamed that somebody looks at you? You are beautiful in the eyes of God. You have been made worthy. The very favor and love of God surrounds you. I'm going to wait another few seconds. God is showing me there's more of you. I can't be the only one. He. I'm going to ask for some of the pastors, if you've been on the prayer team, if you're on the worship team and you feel led to go pray for someone, we need to show these people that they are valued and loved. You are not alone anymore. You don't have to hide. You stand here with your head held high. So as we worship, God is going to begin to break this stuff off of your life right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, we're going to leave shame at the altar. You are loved. You are valued. If you're from the prayer team of TSF Espanol, come up and help us pray. Let's worship him.
everything that you hate about how you look, who you are, what you become, I remove it off of your life and I put it back at the cross on Jesus who died for every one of those things. Everything you, you say, I wish I wasn't this way. I hate myself. I break those words right now in Jesus' name. And I release over you the love of a father who embraces you with an everlasting love who will never give up on you. Who calls you his beloved. He says, you are my son, my daughter. I will never let you go. I will not let go of your hand. Father, we thank you today that you are not ashamed to say that we are your children. Even on our worst days, in the middle of our failure, on the day we really messed up, on the day we really blew it, even then, God, you, you don't throw us out. You're not embarrassed of us. worship you today. We acknowledge you. We give you thanksgiving for all you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name. So if, if you're still here at the altar, you still want prayer, you can stay. If you're still out there and you want to come up, there'll be people to pray for you. But other, otherwise, Pastor Ephraim's going to dismiss you. I want to dismiss you, but before we dismiss you, just leave with a grateful heart. Just sing this song with us. Just say thank you. Say thank you, Jesus, just as I am. Just
that you weren't too clear understanding about and you think you can't escape that God is saying every curse every pact that was made in the past is broken right now I don't care if it was written in blood it's broken right now through the blood of Jesus Christ it's broken right now it's that easy it's that easy Father, we thank you, Lord. We stand under the umbrella of your grace, oh God. Under the safety of your arms, Lord. And we declare, Lord, that we are redeemed, oh God. In your eyes, we are new, we are made whole. And Father, this walk that we choose to walk, Father, though you didn't promise us that it would be easy, you promised us that you would be with us, that you would never leave us, that you would walk with us, oh God, that every fear would have to move, Lord, in the light of your love. Every chain would be broken, oh God, under the weight of your blood. You are awesome in what you do, Father. We stand in awe of you. You are our Savior, our Lord, the lover of our soul. You're all that we need, all that we've ever wanted. And we surrender all to you, Lord. Father, continue to move in our lives, Lord. Continue to birth new vision in us, oh God. Awaken us to our destiny, Lord. Let us stand under the truth of your promises, Lord. We leave this place, Lord, with hope, peace, and joy. Under a new covenant, Lord, that you made with us, Lord. A 
covenant of love. Father, we thank you. Be with us throughout this week. You are blessed. Be a blessing. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.